Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Would the Smart Party Do? This week, it's special guest time again. Unfortunately, I've lost Baz due to family emergency, but that's all right, because I've got with me uh, Thomas Herrenstam. Have I pronounced that correctly? Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Good. I'm quite sure that your English is better than my Swedish, so uh, do feel free to correct me at any point. <laughs> um, <laughs> no problem. You're here as a lead designer and a representative of uh, Free League. Is it the Free League we say in English? Exactly, yeah. Excellent. So you you guys produce stuff like uh, Tales from the Loop, Coriolis, uh, and uh, several others, it seems, you've been quite prolific. So can you tell us a little bit about um, how your league came together? Were you just like a group of gamers as kids and it's sprung from there, or what happened? Well, kind of. Uh, we, uh, we didn't know each other that long, but we did start playing games together and writing for games together. Uh, uh, this is about eight years ago or something like that. And uh, we started writing for games that were uh, the publishers at that time went out of business and we, we sort of picked up the pieces, wanted to continue writing for these games. And then basically, uh, to make a long story short, we started actually publishing it and it got more serious. And eventually we started a company and it sort of grew from there. And then it really took off with, uh, really with when, when Kickstarter and the crowdfunding phenomena took off and that we did our first crowdfunding in 2014 and that really changed the game completely and made it possible to to do this on a different on an, another level really yeah absolutely so um am i right in thinking that uh mutant year zero your, your first game that really sort of hit it off that was that came from a swedish game called mutant is that right that's true yeah the, that's an old it's a the mutant game has a history that goes back more than 30 years the first version came out in 84 so it's the first game i ever played and the first game i ever owned so it's always sort of had a, a, a special place in my heart that game throughout the years really so so um yeah when we started the free league it wasn't the first swedish game we did but it was like the game that i really wanted to do and when we got the chance to do it i, I jumped at the chance and then when we the first time we wanted to translate it and publish it in english it was like the obvious choice for me to to go with mutant yeah, and uh, it seems that um, a lot of these games I've got, probably most of them now, um, have a, a nice little mix of a variety of influences. So it's not just like um, a traditional game, as you'd imagine, or just like a, anything like a, a new hip indie game. It seems to have uh, several influences. So the stuff in there that people who play D and D stuff can probably recognise. Uh, but it's got quite a lot of other things, like how all the characters are linked to link together and making sure you've got relationships and, and trying to tie some story into it straight away. Is that is that a conscious effort, or is it just something you've picked up in terms of this is what we do at our gaming table, so we're going to do this as a, as a game we publish? Well, it's a bit of both, but uh, the, we've. I think we've always been... I think that's one of the things that we really do without com getting co completely caught up in what's trendy at the time. We do try to keep an ear to the ground, and we've been influenced by by what's happening in other parts of the rpg world and i think that's important to know what's going on and be aware of that and then not copy what other people are doing but absolutely be inspired by it and make your own uh, thing out of it and i think that what's become our kind of thing our hallmark is to sort of find this sweet spot in between traditional gaming and indie gaming and try to sort of pick the best out of both uh and that's really that's just 
came out that way because that's how I like to play myself and, and, and the people that we've been playing with. So it felt it's completely natural. It came from the way we, we play, but it, it's also heavily inspired by other games for sure. I mean, the Forge movement, the indie games from about 10 years ago, they were a very heavy influence on the first games that we did. Uh, that were only in Swedish. Uh, then a few years later, when we did Mutant Year Zero and the other games, we had, I think, uh, found our own identity a little bit more to find this kind of sweet spot in between the two that I think is where we where we are right now. So, so yeah, I mean, based in our the way we play, based in, in other inspirations, other games, I think we've found uh, quite sort of consciously now to find and try to nail that particular place uh, between indie and traditional. Yeah, yeah, as it's a nice sweet spot for me as well, actually. Call it trendy over here sometimes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> halfway between the two, yeah. Um, so is there, is there much of a gaming scene in Sweden? It, it seems like that your games, particularly and things like Simba Room and all that, have suddenly got popular, you know, across Europe and even to America and, and worldwide. So this only seems to be a, a more recent thing. Is there quite a scene in Sweden, or is it just something that seems to have blown up recently? Yeah, uh, there's been a scene for quite a long time. I, I mentioned Mutants uh, came out in the 80s, and there has really been, there is a strong RPG tradition in Sweden, and there, there has been for quite some time, starting in the 80s. Uh, I think, I mean, Sweden is a small country, but I would suspect that per capita, I think it's probably uh, top in the world. I would I would suspect so. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't actually do the math on that, but I would suspect so. Uh, as in as, as in the rest of the world, uh, that that was obviously a drop off in the '90s and the 2000s compared to the '80s, just because of the computer games taking over and 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 pen and paper role playing turning into a bit of a more of a niche thing. Uh, but in the last couple of years, there's definitely been a strong revival. I think that coincided with uh, with the with the crowdfunding with print on demand. All of that kind of made it were new tools that made it much more possible for small publishers to actually actually create high quality stuff but i think uh the 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 phenomenon the last few years of of quite a few uh, swedish publishers uh going international has been i think we actually inspired each other i wouldn't say it's we're i I won't take all the sort of glory for that but but we were definitely sort of uh, i think i mean that did people took notice and and there are some good publishers in sweden and i do think they were a little bit look you know inspired by what we're doing and then it just started from there so we i mean our our games are not the first one to be published in english but it was last time it happened was like in the 90s so there's been quite a while with no no real export of swedish rpgs so we really just picked up that uh, that tradition again from from before no, that's really good um and there's no seems to be anybody like nearby either does i suppose um there's lamentation of the flame princess and, and james ray that's kind of in in finland but uh, apart from the nordic yeah it's just uh Sweden, yeah. really. So, do Norwegians not play role-playing games? Is this it? Is this what? well? They do actually. There, there, there are some Norwegian games, but I don't think they've they've sort of. I'm not sure if they've been translated and and published internationally. Um, so yeah, uh, and yeah, I'm not sure about Denmark and Finland. I'm, I'm no, I know there are games. A lot of gamers in Finland. Finland is a strong gaming and and sort of geek tradition as well. So, uh, but I'm not sure. Apart from from Lamentations, of course, but he's not. Oh, yeah, he's a sort of a special case. But apart from him, I'm not sure how how many games there are. Uh, I know they did a, a game. A Finnish publisher did a game on this old Stalker movie 
yeah, there there are a few Finnish games as well. So there is some out there, but I I guess Sweden is has the strongest RPG tradition of of the Nordic countries. I would say. Yeah, good stuff. So so to move into your games themselves, then Mutant Year Zero, um, that's that came out a while ago now. When we've we've since had uh, GenLab Alpha, which is kind of a and the next generation of it, if you will, it's standalone, or you can use it with, you know, the rules are standard. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, um, is it Mechatron, the next one that's coming out? Yep, yep, we're working on that right now. So they seem like you've got, like, a, a good core base, but you're coming up with some, like, quite different ideas in the, in the settings. It's not like um, a traditional game where you might get a core game and then lots of expansions of different bits of the world. It's more it's more fundamental than that, would you say? In that, you know, each game you get will give you a yeah. new core game. Yeah, it's it's that's the 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 path we chose for Mutant Year Zero, which has benefits and drawbacks as everything. But but we the way we decided to do it is to split the game into four parts basically, and and the reason for that is that traditionally the mutant world is sort of a pretty much started out as 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 a game in the gamma world tradition. It's got mutant humans, mutant animals, robots, and and, and non-mutant humans. But when we started doing Mutant Year Zero, we wanted to go, we decided it would be like a prequel closer to the actual apocalypse, a bit more sort of where you actually build the new world before it's become very civilized again. And we wanted to look at each of these classes like separately and where they actually came from to really go in depth on that and that turned out to be for actually separate games but they do lock together so when you get the next one you can combine the two into the same campaign basically but yeah so we we chose to do it that way uh and and um yeah it's uh, it, i think it's working out for that game it's, i don't think it's a recipe to follow for every game but it, it worked for that yeah. one so yeah i think across all your games it's, it's the same core system where you get you have sort of a stat and a skill and you roll some d6 and you're looking for sixes like a, it's absolute boil down level that's kind of what it is but yeah. Yeah. um each one's got a real different flavor to it so something like um like tales from the loop for example is like a really simple um just gives you enough to play the game so it doesn't get in the way of the story quite as much whereas some of the other games perhaps like coriolis is a bit more involved so you, you know you get a yeah. lot more kind of rules and tweaks and things like that so even from a system point of view they feel quite different games yeah, I mean, we decided to go with, uh, for Coriolis, it was actually a bit of a process. We we tried, from the start, we had not decided to go with a Mutant Year Zero-based system. We actually tried a couple of different systems. It was even a Fate game for a while, uh, and uh-huh. we tested it, and we played around with it, and we never quite got it to feel right. So then it was actually, we just sat down one day and said, let's just try the Mutant system and tweak that and see how that works. And that kind of from then on it sort of fell into place and we did that and we were happy with it so then when it came uh, it was time for for tales from the loop we had you just felt let's just base it on that same engine but obviously give it a different flavor tweak it to make it fit that style and the theme and the, and the setting and all of that but but keep the core mechanic because it kind of helps also when we were trying to go international to actually keep it to one system makes it easier for people maybe to to try other games and learn the system you don't have to learn something from scratch you can if you if you've played mutant year zero it would be less of a less of a hindrance to try out the other games as well so it was a bit of a discussion like that cool yeah so um i was at a convention just this weekend actually and i ran tales from the leap oh, cool. not for the first time but um yeah funny it's, it's really um the systems are I think a couple of players described it as swinging that you can sometimes roll lots of sixes and sometimes get nothing at all. But it's good in that yeah. it's got those extra sort of um, 
little tweaks just to help you out so you can push a roll, but you're definitely going to get a condition or you can use your pride or you can, you know, there's stuff in there that even if you don't get what you want, you can try and there's, there's levers to pull to try. If you're really desperate to make that roll, you can do it, right? Pretty much, yeah. That's that's the general idea that you there are ways to sort of uh, overcome. Even if you have a bad role, you can usually push through, but at some kind of cost. And and yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. There's been some discussions on the system in general, particularly I think with. But it's basically it's the same thing for all games. That that, of course, rolling. I think it's, it's a bit of a psychological phenomenon, really, because sometimes you feel, oh, I got so many dice and I still fail. What the hell is going on? And it's <laughs> it's it it feels like you should have made that role, but. Really, I mean, statistically, there it's there's we even for this very reason put a table in in all of our games that tell you like the exact percentage chance of succeeding with X number of dice, just to sort of make sure that players can see. Okay, so what's how 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 likely am I to actually succeed at this? But still, I think that feeling of rolling lots of dice and still failing sometimes it's it's uh, it can. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's a it's a, uh, some criticism that has been sort of directed at the system, and it's uh, yeah, I can understand that it, it's, uh, but I do think it's more on that level than actual that it's actually hard to succeed because if you look at just the pure numbers, it's not really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and I think it's one of them that comes down to if you've got a good GM, then they only ask you to roll dice when it matters. I think if, you exactly. know, if you've got somebody who's asking you to roll every time you try and do everything, then it might seem that you failed quite a lot, but then you perhaps shouldn't be yeah. rolling the dice as much, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, um, Tales from Loops kind of got that, that feel to it. I don't know if it was fortuitous or whether it was well-timed, but um, Stranger Things, the TV show, came out at a very similar time. Was that was that just coincidental or was that sort of – because it's, it's my pitch to people when I try and run the game. I say, you've seen Stranger Things, right? And they go, yeah. I say, okay, right. We're going to play that. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not as dark as that, but it's, it's that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's coincidence and not – I mean, it, it started out as a complete coincidence because we started working on the game before Stranger Things came out. Uh, and the, the game was written. It was done in text form. The first draft was completely done uh, by – by the time Stranger Things aired. Uh, and of course, Simon Stollenhog's uh, book came out uh, 2014. So that was w- which the game is based on, the art book. Uh, so that's way before Stranger Things. Uh, hmm. But yeah, I mean, then what happened after Stranger Things came out, we did have a discussion internally where we said, all right, we're doing Tales from the Loop RPG. So should we sort of do that? now or should we wait because there's always that kind of discussion when to do what and then the and stranger things did play a little bit of a role when we decided to okay let's do it pretty much as soon as we can because it's the right time for this game yeah absolutely it, it doesn't feel as dark one of the interesting things about it actually is that you put in um boulder city so you've got a, a, a swedish version and an american version both within the same game so i guess that's for the because the american market's the biggest right you want to give them something that's a bit more comfortable if they feel like that's the sort of game they want to play <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was the idea. I mean, there's some some basis for it in in Simon's art book as well. There are some some pages. There is a like a chapter about uh, a, an American loop, an American accelerator that is sort of a sister facility to the Swedish one. So we decided to use that, and yeah, we did want to. Even though there's quite a few Americans who enjoy playing the Swedish setting, uh, we still wanted to give and also show that you can play actually play this game 
anywhere you like. You, basically, you can locate the game in your hometown or wherever you, you feel like. And we wanted to show that by giving two different settings and just so how that actually can work. So it's easier for someone to create their own third setting based looking at how it's done with these two. So actually, right now, we're doing the first expansion uh, for the game, and it's going to include, a, a, we call it a hometown hack, a sort of a small system on how to create a game setting based on your own town. And as an example location there, we're going to use, uh, we're going to have a British uh, location. So that's uh, going to be yeah. in there. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, that'll be good, obviously. One of the good things I like about actually setting uh, the game in, in Sweden when I do it is that it, it feels a little bit more alien without meaning that to sound horrible. Or, yeah. But it's, you know, you yeah, don't yeah. really know the sure. culture or quite what things are like yeah. and just living on this small island. So, so for a lot of people, it's kind of... Uh, it makes it that little bit more mystical and fun, if you know what I mean, because you're not quite sure, sure. what the yeah. world should be like. But um, it, it exactly. does lead to the, the occasional problem where uh, I think at weekend I was trying to tell people that it was quite late and getting dark, so that, you know the kids need to go home and all that. And and one of the players was like, "No, no this is Sweden in summer. It's like it's not going to go dark till midnight." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, there's that. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to be a little bit careful, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does play out quite well. Mm. Um, so um, you, you've also got a completely different game uh, coming up now. I think uh, Forbidden Lands at time of uh, this conversation is out in, in Kickstarter. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, yeah. I mean, it's it's a fantasy game, and we've always... We did a fantasy game in Swedish uh, long way back, but it was a kind of a different type of game, and we, we felt that after... Uh, Mutant Year Zero, which is post-apocalyptic, uh, and then Coriolis, which is sci-fi, and then, then Tales from the Loop, which is uh, like this uh, alternate 80s. We felt that we we always wanted to do a fantasy game as well. So we, we've been dis- discussing this for years, really, on how to do it and what to do and what flavor should it have, what world should it be in. And, and uh, we never quite got around to it until about a year ago, almost, when we did an art book for an old, um, there is a, a the guy who did most of the illustrations for the Swedish RPGs in the eighties. His name is Nils Gullikson, and every every Swedish role player knows who he is. And we actually did an art book with his art, and then we just we just felt that oh, wouldn't it be cool to do a game that sort of has this kind of feel, like that kind of eighties fantasy art that sort of that is not so polished and a bit raw and a bit more like line art, that kind of feel. And it kind of fit with the idea that we wanted to do a fantasy game, which uh, is not so high powered. It's more on a sort of down to earth level. So, and that fit with the mutant year zero theme that, and we wanted a game that had a bit kind of a survival uh, feel to it. So these kind these two ideas, merged together and then we started discussing how should we do this game and it turned into Forbidden Lands which is uh, we call it a sandbox survival retro fantasy game there's a lot of words in there but that's basically what we want to do. That's the short version right? (laughs) Yeah exactly (laughs) Yes it has got a certain style because there's uh, there's something else that came out I saw Games actually, which is very much like um, the old fantasy fantasy books. It's that kind of, kind of black line art kind of feel to it. Yeah, and, you know, like I say, a, a little bit rough and ready. But I think for gamers exactly. at a certain age, it sort of takes you back to that time when you were playing those sort of games, and you get a sort of sense of nostalgia already before you even you know read any words. You can kind of yeah. I mean, that's the idea that we want to. Uh, that's the idea for this game, and and from that we want to take like the old, but not just copy the old, but also bring in something new and, and find something that is a, f- a fresh combination of that, that we, there are certain elements, both of the aesthetics of the old games and also how at least we played back then that was less 
is controlled by a plot and a story and it was quite open you just went wherever mm. you wanted to and created the map and the world as you went along basically and we wanted to recapture that but we wanted to sort of support it with new mechanics that really sort of could help you do that and so the, the the game would actually sort of help you play like that and that's sort of the basis for for how this this uh, game is built yeah sure i mean i remember one of the first um sort of scenarios i ran was x1 isle of dread you know the kind of D classic but there's was, there was a big yeah. hex map there and unless you hit the hex with something in it you kind of <laughs> your players were bumbling around looking for something to do quite a lot of the time yeah. you hit the right numbers. Yeah. So, uh, having something exactly. that's got a bit more support probably helps a little better exactly i mean that's exactly the kind of thing that we sort of we're using a hex based map for this game as well but we have a system where where the gm can really sort of play with that and place the good stuff uh where the players want to go instead of the players having to go to where the good stuff is so we sort of switch that around a little bit and make it possible to for the gm to control uh, how quickly the, the the players progress in the campaign and so on using these kinds of tools so uh yeah that's the idea and we're sort of uh, yeah we're in the middle of uh, i mean the kickstarter is going on and we're hard at work writing uh, right now and then um, so yeah it's um it's a, it's a lot of fun so how, how involved are the artists because obviously like we've mentioned the style there of, of neil's but also uh, sam's works you know absolutely outstanding as yes, coffee table books and, and that's it so is it kind of i understand sam's part of the free league now as well like officially he's like part of the gang yeah. so Art and sketches first and make game up about it, or do you write stuff and get some pictures, or do you kind of do a bit of both and like sort of like inspire each other a little bit? Yeah, I mean it's it's a absolutely a cooperation. Simon is a part of the free league. He's one of the we used to be like four founders. Now he's one of the five official partners. Then we of course work with a lot of freelancers as well. So there's a lot more people involved, but the core team is 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 us five, and Simon is a part of that. Uh, still, he focuses mostly on his own work. I mean, he's doing his art books and his art. Uh, so that's his main focus. But he's also doing art for the other games that are not sort of uh, based on his original work. Um, and of course, that then we do uh, for those, it differs a little bit. Like he did the cover now for Forbidden Lands and he's also done the cover for, for some mutant things. And, and then, of course, we have a discussion because he's a mutant fan as well and we really have it talk about what should go in there and how to sort of get the best feel uh it's a bit different when when we do the test from the loop game because those that game is built on his world that he created so then he's and he's more involved of course then we're discussing details all over and he's do, doing like new art and then he's really involved in the in the process in a in a deeper way uh so that's really a bit of a different process for that Sure. Does he play role-playing games as well? Is he a gamer or? He did, but he's he's the kind of guy that at least is uh, it's almost like a common. Star. He's he was like the the kid brother who didn't get to play <laughs> because his right. older brother played a lot and he was too young and and he, he they didn't let him be to like join in. So he's always been the guy who was like watching role-playing games from afar rather than playing himself. I think that sort of stayed with him. And I think that's sort of part of why he's doing what he's doing now. It's sort of that kind of feel to, to things. It's a bit of a longing for something that was never quite in reach. So yeah, he's, he's, not, uh, he's not an active role player, but he's, he's, he's really sort of into the, the genre. So yeah, that's uh, his story. 
No, that's good stuff. Yeah, one of the characters I had at the weekend was kind of the weirdo kid who didn't quite fit in with others and uh, had a drawing pad, so uh, kept drawing pictures of everybody else, but without really joining yeah. in. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's art moment. <laughs> cool. So um, you're the uh, you're the lead designer, is that right? Have I got your, your functions? Yeah, that's you? right. Uh, we don't do – we don't exactly have – formal titles uh we do a lot of everything but yeah i mean i i sort of my role has become one part is to sort of keep the projects rolling and keep everything together and the other part is that i focus on on rules and game design the game design parts not so much setting uh but mainly like rules that has sort of been i always always enjoyed doing that and sort of now i get the chance to to do that quite a lot so yeah that's that's been my my role mostly cool so do you guys get to play any other games then or are you totally swamped by making making run or do you, do you get time to chill out and try some of the new stuff yeah i mean it's it's a bit of a challenge but i and and but i felt i i to get the time to play everything you want to play because there's a lot of good stuff out there but yeah we do try to play uh there obviously we do spend some time playing our own games but but we I really find it's important to play other games as well so you don't get like lose track of what's actually happening out there uh so I I I wish I played more other games but we do whenever we get the chance we do play some uh some some I mean not only new stuff but also like like some old forge games like those in the vineyard we're playing quite a bit and uh yeah there's uh yeah we do try out other games as much as we can cool and uh your games won uh, a few ennies this year at uh gen con is there is there a chance that you'll make the trip over to america to gen con this year or something like that do you get to conventions yeah. much yeah we do i mean and, and we want to do more but i mean this year was felt a bit bad because we didn't know i mean we we knew that the game was nominated for ennies and that was really cool but we couldn't we we didn't go ourselves we couldn't quite get it to work because it's a bit of a trip from over here and modifius who's doing the who handles our international distribution they were going anyway so they were saying okay so you'll have you'll you can represent us uh over there but then when when we, we actually ended up winning like five gold ennies we just felt damn we really should have been there just, <laughs> we, yeah that was a bit of a we just felt no this was we, well, this is never going to happen again you know this was our, our show so but the chris birch had what if he did a good job representing us at the at the award ceremony there so it, it was it was all fine i watched it on youtube and felt a bit sad that i wasn't there but <laughs> we'll see um hopefully we'll go next year we sometimes go i mean there are some swedish conventions that we go to and we've been to dragon meet in in london once when Mutant yeah. uh, Year Zero was launched, so we were there, and we, I'm sure we'll go back to the UK for something at some point. Uh, and of course, then there is Essen in Germany that we'd like to go to. We're not going to make it this year either, but yeah, hopefully next year. Yeah, cool. I'm, I'm down at Dragon Meet this time, actually. But uh, yeah, Chris Birch actually runs that, doesn't he? He's, he's doing a sterling job of that. It's, it gets bigger every year, it seems, and more and more stuff there. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's a real good convention for having to look around and seeing what else there is out there as well. Yeah. So um, have, you, have you got anything else in the pipeline at, uh, at the Free League you can tell us about or hint at? Or uh, is the, the recent Kickstarter just keeping you uh, busy enough for now? Oh, there's stuff uh, going on. And, and I mean, obviously, we have to deliver on, on the Kickstarters that we that we have. I mean, Forbidden Lands, of course, and, and Mechatron, which is we did. A, we released an alpha PDF in the summer, but the final game is not quite done yet. So we'll definitely finish that. Uh, but beyond that, we do have some some things in the works, for sure. I mean, uh, there is the fourth 
uh, mutant game called Elysium, which is based focusing on the non-mutant humans. Uh, has a bit of a cyberpunk vibe to it because you play in an underground enclave, like underground city that where people live to escape the the, the apocalypse. Uh, and then there is a actually a follow-up game or a sister game to Tales from the Loop that's based on, on that was actually a stretch goal in the Kickstarter for that game. Uh, so that's we'll be doing that as well. It's sort of a it's based on things from the flood, which is Simon's second book, which takes place a mm. bit later. It's more of a '90s era than an 80s uh, game so it's got a bit of a different flavor to it it's a bit darker really and and the themes are a bit more adult and the characters are a bit older so it has a bit of a it's a bit more weird creepy kind of thing so we're doing that and then there's a couple of other projects that i'll have to get back to there there, yeah Yeah. Yeah, no problem at all i'm still keeping my fingers crossed for the 70s kind of one because uh, i'm a bit older than most guys so yeah, actually, there, we do have a project uh, that would take place in the seventies. Uh, we're that's sort of on the yeah. We're looking into that. We'd like to do that game. Would have a bit of a like a bit of a agent. Like, did you? See, there was that movie Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Like that kind of uh, yeah. uh, that kind of feel to it. Oh, brilliant! Um, uh, hopefully, that's gonna happen too. Oh, that sounds really exciting. Yeah. So plenty going. I mean, are you um, are you surprised by the success of your Kickstarters? Because just looking at, at your most recent one, seems to be over two million kroner or something, and, and going upwards from there. Like, does it ever surprise you how successful they are? Yeah, I mean, you never know because I always get you know, you're always you never know how things are going to go. Even though the last one went well, you just don't know because you you, you it's always a risk when you we do do a Kickstarter. You will never know for sure. But yeah, it's turned out that that it's. Um, doing better and better each time almost i mean not depending on a specific game of course but overall it's it's really been and, and i think what we've been trying to do for both tales from the loop and for forbidden lands which we haven't done before is to have one single kickstarter for both english and swedish editions at the same time because before that we did the game in swedish first and then we translated it and then even if we did then we ended up doing like two kickstarters which is more work and it splits up everything and it's just not very effective so that's helped that we actually can get all the backers whether they're swedish or or international into the same kickstarter and that's and it also creates a better community because then everyone can join in and discuss everything so that's been one way of 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 growing things yeah that sounds good so is it difficult doing translations? Are there like nuances of game or things about them which which make sense in Swedish? And then when you translate it, you kind of have to look at it and go, does that make does that feel right? Does it make the same sort of sense? Or yeah, sometimes there are things like that that come up. Not so much. It's not a big problem, but I, I would say it's mostly a th- has been a thing in uh, Mutant Year Zero because that's based on a Swedish game, and there were other editions of Mutant that came out earlier in Sweden. And in the Swedish, in our ver- in, in Mutant Year Zero, in the Swedish version, there are things that kind of allude to the previous editions of Mutant, and obviously the international audience doesn't have any knowledge of that at all. So there are some, some things we have changed or removed, but some things we just left in there. They don't really mean anything if you don't pick up on the hints, but it doesn't really matter because they're they're not central to the plot or anything. They're most like small like a character who kind of is a throwback to an old character that sort of was in one of the 80s version of the game or something like that but if you pick up on it it 
can be fun, but it's not. If you don't, it's fine also. So so it's on that kind of a level. So it's, it hasn't been things that are really core to the games, but but mostly like small things like that. Cool, yeah. So we're kind of like the children when you go and see a, a, a like a, I don't know, like Finding Nemo or something. Like we get it on one level, but exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's extra jokes yeah. we're not getting. But <laughs> it's for mutant, it, it can sometimes be a little bit like that, yeah. I mean, we enjoy but it anyway, it, so it's fine. <laughs> you know, we don't build the games around that. It's not core to anything, so it's mostly like, you know, fun, but nothing central. <laughs> sure. Excellent stuff. Yeah. Excellent. Well, yeah, congratulations again on your Ennies and your great games. I keep buying them, so they must be doing something right. And uh, thanks very much Thank for your you. time. Thank you.